Hello and welcome to HX Superheroes, where we explore the full story of human-centered leadership when it comes to making strategic and operational decisions, no matter what your business is. In today's episode, I am so happy to present Paul Abbott, the CEO of American Express Global Business Travel, about the challenges of running a large and highly complex organization and building an independent brand culture after a spinoff from a monster parent brand and creating creating a positive culture after a challenging period. Paul started his career at British Airways where he held various roles across marketing, operations and sales. He joined Amex in 1995 serving in multiple roles that led to the Chief Commercial Officer role and in 2019 he became the Chief Executive Officer. Amex Global Business Travel is a multinational travel and meetings program management company. It has more than 18,500 employees serving in over 140 countries. From its inception as part of the financial services behemoth American Express that many know, and now as a standalone enterprise for the past seven years, and publicly traded since May 2022. Amex has delivered on a promise of strong service and a focus on customer needs. Paul, it is such a delight to have you here today in the Thank studio. You very much. We always like to kick off these podcasts getting to know our guests a little bit more. So, why don't we start with where it all began? Where it all began? <laughs> oh, well, um, I'm actually uh, from Beaconsfield in Buckinghamshire, not far away from where we are today. Um, that's where I that's where I grew up. And um, yeah, my uh, my parents, uh, my my father worked at British Airways um, at the airport, and my mum ran a travel agency in uh, in the high street in the town okay. where we lived. So a travel, bit of foreshadowing there. Exactly, yeah. travel was sort of in the blood from uh, from early days, and um, so that was yeah, definitely one of my big sort of influences growing up. So I mean, obviously, you know, you, your your parents had a, had a significant impression on on your life, and and obviously your career and some of the career choices that you made. In terms of the intrinsic values, I guess that that you grew up with. How do you then? How would you say those have informed? some of your leadership decisions and and how you became a leader of, of MXGBT? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, and I did, like as I say, grow up in a in a household that was, um, you know, uh, I mean, it, it sounds strange now, but diverse in the sense that, you know, growing up in the mid-70s, you know, having your Swiss grandmother living with you, having your parents speaking French and, and, and Swiss German and, um, you know, so, and, and having the ability to, to travel was, was an amazing privilege when I was was young, you know, with my mum being in the travel industry, my dad working at British Airways. We just had opportunities to to travel that yeah. that you know really I think shaped my upbringing. You know, we travelled a lot around around Asia, Malaysia, and China. We went to India several times, um, and those are definitely uh, really sort of formative experiences. I think when you're 10, 12, 14, 16, mm-hmm. and you're seeing those parts of the world, and I think that sort of passion for travel but also that that love of a kind of diverse environment you know really left a, a strong impression on me growing up for yeah. sure many people probably don't know this but but our paths crossed some years back i don't want to date either of us but, but it <laughs> i was think i've already too, given that away yeah. <laughs> when i said mid-70s yeah, exactly <laughs> it's not too long after i think it was the dot-com bubble i ended up working for started working for america express you were running the canadian arm of, of that business and uh and then our paths crossed once again not too long ago when uh, a business that i was running we ended up selling that yeah 
to uh, to MXGBT and spun off the technology <laughs> division to another company. In, in terms of your career, do you want to maybe just step through sort of where you started and then, of course, how you got into the role that you did that you're in today? <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a long journey. But yeah. I, no, I mean, I, I actually I left school at 16. Um, so I went to a grammar school and then I left school after my O levels. Um, technically, I was actually still 15 because uh, my birthday's in July. So I was one of those young ones in the <laughs> in the year. And it sounds strange to say that now because. Um, you know, there's a lot of pressure, I think, on on kids to to sort of go into higher education and and go to university and get a degree. And um, but it wasn't that unusual back then. Um, I, I think about half the class that I you know was in uh, left you know school at that point wow. um, because there were a lot of opportunities at at that age. You, you know, there were a lot of apprenticeship programs, and so it wasn't that unusual. Yeah. Um, I actually started work. My parents had had retired, but they bought a pub and restaurant um, in the Oxfordshire countryside, beautiful little place called Woolston, the White Horse at Woolston, one of the many pubs that claims to be the oldest in the country. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I went to work there. You know, I went to work in, uh, in the kitchens, in the bar um, at my parents' uh, pub, restaurant. And, um, and then I'd probably still be there now if my dad hadn't kicked me out and told me to get a proper job. <laughs> and so I ended up joining an apprenticeship program uh, at British Airways, British Airways yeah. and that was uh, actually a really good balance for me because you know you kind of spent three weeks working, and then the fourth week you spent at college, and I was doing a business studies qualification, yeah. and that really worked well for me because you know I, I had a, a job, I was earning money, I had the sort of structure and discipline of of working uh, and an income, but it kept, but I also was able to sort of keep my studies going, um, so that led to you know, various roles at British Airways in operations and in finance. And then I moved into marketing finance and then I moved into sales. Um, and then I moved into sort of more senior positions in sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, so I was at British Airways for nine years and then I, I joined, I came across to join Amex to run what was sort of half of the travel business in the UK at the time. Amex had bought um, Thomas Cook. And so Eric Brannan, who was the head of uh, the travel business in Europe, wanted somebody who was a neutral, who <laughs> wasn't an Amex person, wasn't a Thomas Cook person. Um, and uh, yeah, I had a lot of respect for Eric. We had a very good relationship, and he twisted my arm, and, uh, uh, and I joined Amex on the travel side. Um, and then I moved into the payment side of the business, and then I, I spent basically 20 years in payments. Yep. Um, and then obviously more recently uh, joined the board of Amex GBT uh, and then I was on the board for two years before I became CEO in, in 2019. So that's the, that's the fast version. <laughs> yeah. It, it, one thing that I, I, I know that American Express is, is, is known for is the investment and development of their leadership. Yeah. How important is that for you? Yeah, I mean, look, hugely important. I think at Amex, I was very fortunate to work you know, with and for a lot of just really, really smart, talented people in an environment that I think really values strong leadership. Um, you know, and I and I think th that sort of commitment to continuous improvement that exists at Amex, um, I think, made a huge difference to to me personally. Uh, I, I would say it was less about the sort of formal investment that Amex made in you as a leader, and more about just the the quality and standard of leadership in the company and yeah. the people that you learned from and that you got to work with. Yeah, and the culture 
that is yes. within that organization. Yeah, very strong culture, very strong values. Uh, and, you know, as I say, a culture that really believes in, in the strength of leadership and, and values it and recognizes and promotes people based on that, that leadership strength. So I think there was a huge influence on me, definitely. What would you say are the strongest qualities of strong leadership in your opinion? Well, I personally, I think trust is the foundation of any successful relationship, mm-hmm. you know, in, in business or personally. And so I think, you know, you, you have to be someone that can build strong levels of trust uh, for that to be the foundation of the relationships that you have. Uh, you know, I do think authenticity is incredibly important. You've got to find your own path and your own style. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's closely linked to building trust. <laughs> you, you know, you have to be authentic. Uh, then, you know, I think for me, the ability to you know, create clarity for people when you're leading large teams is is very, very important. Uh, and to create a sense of of belief. You know, belief is such a powerful force. If you can create that sense of belief in the people around you yeah. that something incredible can be achieved uh, and people know exactly what that is, <laughs> then that's a really wonderful combination. So, you know, I do think that sort of combination of clarity and belief makes a huge difference. What, um, for, for the aspiring leaders, those kids that are coming out of university, college, um, business degrees, whatever degree, what advice would you have for them today, 20, 30 years on? Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, people are looking for that sort of silver bullet and that magic piece of leadership advice. You know, for me, it was just about getting a little bit better every single day. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I would always reflect whether it was on a flight or on a train on the way home, you know, or just sitting at home watching TV. I, you sort of, I always reflect on the day and think about interactions that could have gone better or customer meetings that I could have managed better. Um, and so I, I don't know why I always do that. I don't know if anyone told me to do that. It's just something that's very much embedded in the way that I I operate. I do like to reflect on almost everything that I do. And I have an almost sort of automatic process for thinking, yeah. you know, I, I, I could have done that a little bit better. Next time I'd adjust the way I did that. And I almost sort of replay in my mind when I delivered certain messages, how that was received in the room and maybe how certain conversations went. And, and, and so I just think that that ability to reflect on your own performance, that, that strong level of introspection, being honest with yourself about where you can improve and just committing to get that little bit better, you know, each and every day. Um, you know, if, if there is a, a, a magic silver bullet out there, then great. <laughs> but for me, it, we're, it wasn't. It was really just, I just think, you know, if you can get one or 2% better every single yeah. week, it makes a huge difference yeah. over time. Yeah, and, and do, you, do you try to implement that into your business, into the culture of your business, into how your lead, the expectation that you Definitely. would set with your leadership group? Definitely. I think you have to create this sort of culture of, you, you know, what sometimes, you know, I call divine discontent, you know, you, you, you know, meaning you, you, you can't be satisfied with how things are, yeah. but you have to have a positive motivation around that dissatisfaction, right? The sort of divine yeah. discontent, right? It's okay to be, um, you know, sometimes I, I'm 
fiercely critical of things that I did six months, 12 months, 24 months ago. And I know people are sat around the table thinking, yeah, but you did that. <laughs> that was your decision. <laughs> Why are you so critical of it? Because you have to, I think, be, be prepared to just go back in time and really you know, critique the things that you, you, you did and, and find ways to improve. And um, you know, I, I, so I think, yeah, I do think it's really important to embed that in the culture. Yeah, I mean, it sounds to me as though that really is the hallmark of authenticity as a leader or as, as an employee or as, as an individual right? yeah. when you think about it, self-reflection. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, I think it makes a huge difference. So the question that I've certainly been wanting to ask, and, and I'm sure will be really interesting to those that are listening into the podcast, is you joined the largest travel company in the world about six months prior to the pandemic. Yes. What is it like leading a company of that size through a global pandemic when your entire business model effectively goes from strength to strength yeah. and now you're faced with a crisis that you're now having to figure out how you're going to navigate? Yeah. Well, yeah, it was certainly a very, very challenging period. I mean, th this might sound like a strange thing to say, but you know, if you're going to force, if uh, you're going to face a, a kind of situation like this, it actually came at a good time for me because I was six months in. We had uh, used that first six months in the job to build out a new five-year strategy for mm -hmm. the business. We'd actually brought the top 140 people together in the company in February of 2020 when you know, we knew that COVID existed, but it was something happening yep. you know, in Asia and people weren't quite sure how it was going to develop. Uh, I had 140 people together in Orlando for a meeting launching this new five-year strategy for the business. You know, 60 days later, our revenues were minus 85 <laughs> percent. Um, and so, and so why was it a good time? <laughs> because you know, with a very clear direction set for the business, you know, we had that north star, we had that sort of compass for the business, and you could sort of reflect on, well, how do we? frankly, use the circumstances that we're in to accelerate parts of this strategy. And actually, we found that there were quite a number of elements of the strategy that we could accelerate. So for example, we wanted to make a lot of changes to our infrastructure and our platforms because we'd made a series of acquisitions. And we were planning to make those changes over a two, three-year period because it's a very sensitive change when you have a big servicing organization. Yeah. But with very little volume, we could accelerate all those platform and technology changes. We also had a clear strategy to acquire new capabilities. We wanted to really increase our capabilities, particularly the software solutions that we had for SME customers. And we wanted to add some premium leisure and, and real sort of high-touch travel servicing capabilities. And again, we thought, you know, actually these circumstances will bring certain companies into play that may not frankly have been in play mm -hmm. if it wasn't for the economic conditions that, that we're in. And then there were also a series of cultural changes I wanted to make in, in the company. And um, I really honestly understood very early on that we were in a defining moment, you know, for me personally as a leader and for us as a business. And I was experienced enough to know that when you're in these defining moments, that every decision that you take is amplified. Um, and that is an opportunity for good or bad. Yep. But for me, I wanted to use that as an opportunity yep. for good. And I wanted to use it as an opportunity to really accelerate some of the cultural changes that I wanted to happen right. in, the, 
in the company. And I, I just frankly knew that given the circumstances, I was going to have everybody's attention <laughs> on every decision that I took. And then I could use that as a platform to accelerate some of that, that cultural change. So I think fundamentally, you have to see the opportunities in any situation that you're in. Obviously, it was incredibly challenging. We had to make a lot of very, very difficult decisions. But I think we were as preoccupied with survival and navigating through the challenges as we were seeing the opportunities and really capitalizing on the opportunities. And, um, you know, so it, it, like I said at the beginning, it sounds like a strange thing to say, but the timing of it in some ways, not that I would wish it upon anyone, right. but if it had to happen at some point, happening when you have a very, very clear roadmap in front of you uh, was was actually helpful in some ways. Would it be fair to say that actually that was a catalyst for you then to make those changes that would ultimately lead to listing the company in recent years? It definitely accelerated yeah. that. I mean, yeah. again, that was something that we had planned for the future. Um, I mean, we actually took our five-year plan and uh, that we communicated in February 2020, and we just said, look, in these circumstances, five years is just way too long. We yeah. don't even know what's going to happen in 12 months. So we actually made it a three-year plan. And we said, look, we've got two and a half years left of the three-year plan. We, 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 we need to accelerate the execution across all the key strategies. And that was, that was one of them. Yep. And we actually had a very simple roadmap. We said, look, let's make the strategic acquisitions we want to make. Let's reposition the company to be much more of a software and services company, not just a services company. Yeah. So let's build out the software capabilities. Let's position ourselves as a software and services company. Let's make sure uh, you know, that we um, you know, take advantage, frankly, of some of the infrastructure changes that we were able to make. Uh, and then let's position ourselves to go public. And that was our sort of two-year plan, um, and we executed on it. And I, and I know that may sound simple sitting here now, but when we decided to do that, our revenues were minus 85%, and you didn't even really know exactly where the end of the pandemic was yeah. was coming. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it was a pretty pretty interesting set of circumstances. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible when you think about it. And I'm sure you look back on it with hindsight and go, wow, how do we, how do we actually pull this off? But I suspect that you needed the strong support of the board and your investors, and more importantly, the strong support of your people. Yeah, no, no question. Yeah. I mean, we were fortunate to come into the pandemic well capitalized with a strong balance yeah. sheet. You know, that was, was obviously very helpful. We also have very supportive shareholders long-term supportive shareholders, obviously, you know, very, very helpful. Um, and we had a very motivated, committed team. I mean, the sacrifices people made through that period of time were just incredible. Mm. Um, and, you know, in, in those sorts of circumstances, you know, I knew that there would be winners and losers from the pandemic. Yeah. And we were very focused on being one of the winners. And we wanted to frankly come out of, we talked about emerging from the pandemic with stronger relationships, stronger relationships with customers, with our suppliers and with each other. And that was actually one of the key mantras that sort of led us through. It wasn't achieve this financial objective. It wasn't you know, um, to become a public company. It was actually, look, let's get through this, this very difficult set of circumstances with a stronger reputation and stronger relationships with customers, with mm -hmm. suppliers and each other. That was the mantra as we went through it. 
And I think that that served us really, really well because it focused people on making the right decisions for the right reasons. That's great. What uh, you, you talked about some of the cultural changes that you enacted that you wanted to put in place in order to, to take the company through that period. When you reflect back on it, what, what were some of the most important things that needed to take place culturally to help transform the business to get where it is today? Yeah, I think um, it's interesting to maybe reflect on the, the journey of the business because the, the company was separated out from American Express in 2015. And um, it was a bit like, uh, uh, you know, when your kids leave home, you know, they, they, they kind of rebel against uh, uh, anything that the, the parents, you know, uh, say. Uh, and and MXGB. I'm not went, there yet. We, we went through. Yeah. No, I know you're not. But, but I've been through that. Um, it, 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 the company went through that sort of period of time um, where it was really asserting its independence and 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 really creating its identity. And I think in doing so, left some of perhaps the the real strengths <clears throat> and and the values uh, uh, of American Express. And so um, I wanted to restore some of the really, really good, strong values that you know I, I had experienced at, at Amex, but at the same time, retain and accelerate some of the sort of dynamic, more agile uh, uh, and more levels of creativity and innovation that had come from the separation of, of the business from, from Amex and, frankly, the injection of, of private equity investors mm. that had a different level of expectation, different level of urgency, yep. and, frankly, in some cases, different set of, of objectives, medium, medium term. And so it was sort of bringing these two uh, areas together. Yeah. And, That's and not I know an easy thing to it, do. It, I know it sounds <laughs> it's sort of how do we create the best of both worlds yeah. here, create this stability and strength um you know but but really inject the agility and the speed and the innovation um so that that was the, the magic that we were trying to create and i'm not sitting here you know declaring victory on that it's a it's a everyday battle right yeah. um but i think we've made massive progress yeah. you know uh, I, I think the, the the culture has has shifted tremendously in that in that three-year period yeah, I, I kind of reflect back on my own experience. You know, I, I joined the company that I now run, Forsta, um, just as the pandemic mm. hit, and uh, and we went through a, a massive amount of change, cultural transformation, operational. We bought four businesses. We got acquired. Yeah. In the two-year time, and the story I, I like to tell is we did all of this sort of in isolation virtually. I didn't actually meet anyone yeah. in the business, and didn't meet That's anyone on crazy. the board. Didn't meet my management team. <laughs> And, and you talk about culture and the importance of having people prepared to make these sacrifices. And, and I was amazed at what people were willing to do and, and the fact that, you know, I had uh, our, our key leadership that were, you know, managing three of their mm. ki- children's homework and homeschooling them at the same time. You know, their, their partners were. Yeah. And then to have to go through that and, and communication creating a set of values mm. that people were willing to back yeah. and then consistently and most importantly sort of implementing those into the daily sort of rigor as yeah. you're executing against this plan is no mean feat so I sh- with different sort of investors expectations and objectives now I think about that at our scale yeah. was was we were 500 people were almost a thousand now compared to almost 20,000 it's 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 not something that happens overnight. What was the biggest lesson learned, mm. you think, coming out of that for you? 
But you know, in some respects, when your revenues are down 85% and people aren't traveling, um, shareholder metrics really go out the window. (laughs) You know, I mean, so, um, you you know, you you get back to, well, what are fundamentally the most important qualities in this business that are going to get us through this? And you come back to, you know, making sure that you have people who, you know, are energized and motivated and committed and that, that, you know, people are, are investing in, in the long-term attributes of the business that you need when you come out of the pandemic. Um, and you, you know, it, it just, obviously the, the, the pendulum swung, frankly, towards culture and, and, and leadership. Um, and I think that the challenge for me was actually, so coming out of the pandemic, how do I sustain that? Right. You know, how do I sustain those levels of teamwork and collaboration and commitment? You know, when you get into a more normalized environment, do some of the old behaviors start to, you know, reemerge? Yeah. And so we, we actually, you know, we're pretty conscious about, look, how we've some very, very positive leadership changes here and cultural changes. How do we sustain them in a different environment? So, um, so yeah, I think that was one of the key learnings for us. Especially as you're, and I know that Amex historically has done a pretty good job in terms of balancing sort of that, the virtual in person. Did that have an impact on some of those decisions that you made post pandemic, if, if we want to call it that? Well, we, I'd say we were quite <clears throat> fortunate in that we were quite a, a virtual organization before yeah. the pandemic. Um, I mean, uh, 80% of our workforce in the US, for example, already right. worked from home. Some people think about um, our business, and maybe they don't appreciate. Actually, seventy-six percent of the of the transactions that we do come through digital channels. So they either come through our software platforms or third-party software. So we are, you know, very much a sort of digital-first business. Yeah. Uh, we don't have sort of large call centers. The people who are providing the service are are all they all work from home, mm-hmm. and they were all connected up uh, basically through the cloud through the VPN connections pre-pandemic. Yep. So that was actually a real advantage for us culturally. We were already used to working in a in a remote environment, but also structurally in terms of our infrastructure, some companies had a terrible time, you know, adapting to to the the the, the pandemic because they were in large physical call center mm-hmm. operations and and had no even a remote working capabilities. So that that was very fortunate <laughs> that we were able we just didn't skip a beat from a servicing perspective. Right. Um, and culturally, we were already people were already used to working in an environment where where it was remote. So I think that that definitely helped us. Yeah, you've been quoted as saying travel is a force for good, powering progress, right? Through travel. Yeah. How do you relay that to the end customer, your your business traveler, right? We, we talk a lot about customer experience and yeah. how important that is. Where do you see the roadmap that you've laid out mm. as you look to sort of change the dynamic of the business from more of a services-based company to a software-based company? Clearly, the customer experience is a critical part of that. You've been in the travel industry for a very, very yeah. long time. What are the expectations of the corporate traveler, the business traveler today versus, let's say, 10 years ago? And how do you see Amex aligning their sort of their vision mm. to, to meet those needs? Well, I guess the first piece around travel being a force for good, um, that, that led to some work we did on our purpose as a company. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to make sure that we had that really clear kind of North Star 
And the experiences of the pandemic definitely influenced it, definitely shaped it, because um, when you think about that experience, we, we experienced a world where people couldn't travel. We experienced a world where you know, in-person connections were disrupted. And it had a profound impact. You know, we saw record drops in GDP. We saw record increases in unemployment. We saw record increases in mental health issues. Uh, and so it was very clear that the world, uh, you, you know, was a, a far less understanding, far less tolerant, far less successful place, mm -hmm. you know, without travel. And so, you know, I think taking those experiences into this exercise of what is the purpose of the company, we felt that, you know, our purpose is to power progress through travel. But then we said, well, how are we going to do that? How exactly are we going to do that? We said, well, three areas, economic progress, social progress, and environmental progress. And so those are the three areas we've really centered around. Economic progress is as I just explained, you know, travel is the sort of engine room of commerce. It, 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 it fuels economic growth. And the pandemic was proof of that. Travel also, I believe, fundamentally, maybe this comes back to some of my early experiences in life, but, you know, I do believe that travel drives social progress. I think it builds tolerance, it builds understanding, it builds connections, it builds relationships. And I think these things are just fundamentally important and, and the foundation of any kind of social progress that happens around the world. Well, the pandemic proved that. I, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, and, and then look, the third one is more, if we want to enjoy the economic benefit of travel and we want to enjoy the social benefits of travel, we've got to make travel more sustainable. Right? We, we have to ensure that we're doing it responsibly. Um, and so those are the three kind of pillars of our purpose as a company. So everything that we do ladders up to how are we driving more economic progress, how are we driving more social progress, and how are we driving more environmental progress. And that that really is the, the North Star for the company. Fantastic. What, what's your view on travel in 10 years from now? Well, I think, the, look at the, the way demand has come back. Mm. Um, you know, there is a tremendous appetite to travel. Um, you know, the the leisure travel industry has already been back above 2019 for some time. You know, business travel you know, is approximately 70, 75 percent of 2019. Um, so I, I think travel will absolutely continue to, to grow and it will grow at or above GDP. Yeah. No, no, no question. I, I do think that the experience of the pandemic has brought service back front and center, which I think is really, really good. We went through a period of time where travel was more complex um, and more challenging. And I think that that has raised the bar in terms of people's expectations of service going yeah. forward. So I think that is absolutely critical. I think we, you mentioned it earlier, there was a real acceleration of a drive towards digital channels. Mm -hmm. And I think that is absolutely continuing and will we'll also be an even more important part of our business going forward. Um, and then sustainability, I think, is going to be, you know, critically important. And so I think, look, more demand is absolutely, you know, the future of travel. I think definitely an increased focus on, on the traveler experience, definitely an increased focus on digital channels and an increased focus on sustainability. Those are the things that I think are, those are the trends that are shaping, let's just say, the next three to five years. Great. Now, it wouldn't be an HX Superheroes podcast if I didn't get to ask you <laughs> this, this, this standard question, which is, 
What has been your best customer experience? Well, uh, you, you and, know, and you, why? You know, right. of course, who's going to have delivered my best customer experience? <laughs> you know, it's Amex GBT. Of course, I, of course, of course. But you know, it, it it genuinely is. I mean, I I know this is self-serving, Carl, but here goes anyway. You know, I, I went just after I joined. Um, actually, I was I, I woke up in New York. And, you know, on the Amex GBT app, I had a notification saying, uh, you know, your flight um, has, has, has been canceled. Um, you know, please, you know, m- message, message us. So I go onto the app, I press the live chat service. I get a message back straight away saying, I, don't worry about it. Flight's been canceled. We've rebooked you on another flight at 11 o'clock. You know, we've changed your limousine service. You know, also, we noticed that you're traveling with your colleague, Mr. Shirek. Um, we've also rebooked him, and you guys are all set. Go back to bed. Uh, <laughs> you know, you can leave in two and a half hours for your later flight. Um, that that is a regular experience with us. Yeah. And for me, uh, it, it, we that that kind of using digital channels to proactively deal with customer problems before the customer's even aware of them, mm. like being able to wake up. And be told I had a problem <laughs> that's already solved yeah. is that that's what great customer service is yeah. is is all about. Um, and yeah, like I said, that's that's a regular feature of um, of the service that we offer through through the app and the live chat functionality. So yeah. it's great so, to yeah. to hear about that live and and in person because I mean most of our listeners this is what they do day in and day out is figuring out ways in which they can predict events before they even happen. Yeah, to deliver the optimum customer experience. Yeah, I mean it's uh, called we call it it's called proactive traveler care yeah. and it's designed to literally. You know, as you say, advise you that you you have a uh, you know either a delay or a cancellation, <clears throat> but solve that problem for you before you even before you even know about it. Yeah. Um, and look, I'm not saying that that is possible 100% of the time, but it, it w- when it works, it's that real moment of truth for the customer when the, the customer has that disruption and that that serious challenge. Yeah. And if you can if you can deliver in those moments of truth, you know, those moments that matter. Mm then it makes such a huge difference to your brand and your experience. I couldn't agree more. So if you had a, le- a leadership superpower, Paul, what would it be? <laughs> well, I think it comes back to what I said earlier. I do think creating clarity and belief. Those things really, I think back to my leadership successes over the years, yeah. and it's when I've been able to create clarity of purpose, clarity of vision, clarity of priorities, clarity of values and create this real sense of belief that that anything is possible we're gonna we I think that's where the, yeah I think that's where the, the magic happens that's yeah. it's, it's it's great to hear that from you last question I've got for you is and it's it's a tricky one but if you if you could go back in time and change the trajectory of your career or change your career and do something different is there anything you'd do differently? Is there any, any different career path you might have taken? I mean, that's actually an easy question for me because, yes, I, I, I really wanted to be an architect. Um, and, you know, I love architecture. I love design. Yeah. Um, and I just sort of managed to fulfill my dream of, 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 of actually building a house from scratch. You know, I bought a plot of land and built a house. You know, so I got that out of my system. Yeah. Although... I built it through the pandemic, which was not necessarily the easiest thing to do. Well, there's a bit of a shortage um, of supply. But it but it did it did confirm to me two things. One, I wouldn't have been a very good architect. <laughs> um, but two, I really loved it. I mean, I really really loved it. And uh, so yeah, I would I would definitely have gone into 
into some um, you know field of architecture and designing and 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 and, and building because uh, uh, I, I, yeah, it's just something I really really enjoy. It's interesting you say that because I, I grew, my father was an architect. All right, yeah. So I grew up. Some of my fondest memories were coming home from school, and he'd be sitting at the kitchen counter, you know, on a sketch pad, constantly thinking, constantly designing, constantly creating. I didn't get a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but, uh, but yeah, no, that, that's, yeah. That's, that's fantastic. That would definitely be my path. Wow. Well, Paul, it's been an absolute privilege getting to spend time with you today. Thank you so much for taking time Thank out you. of what I know is a very busy schedule to, to come and join us. I know that, uh, I know that your thoughts and, and sentiments will be well, well taken on board by many of our listeners. So well, thank look, you again. Great to see you, Colin. Thanks yeah. for the opportunity. Likewise. Thanks. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Okay. We could have done that all day. I know. That was easy. <laughs> that was great, Paul. 